and welcome to The Abstract on CFUR 88.7 FM. We are online at cfur.ca and we're in podcast form at anchor.fm. We're broadcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Clayton Today First Nation. Today on the show, we are speaking with Ella Parker. Ella is undertaking a Master's of Natural Resource and Environmental Studies here at UMBC, looking at the possibility of natural resource management decisions being influenced by citizen science projects fueled through experiential learning programs at the high school level within the Chaco watershed. Before we get to our chat with Ella, you'll learn in the interview that she's from Whitehorse. So the first track that we have lined up is from the band Whitehorse, and this song is called O Dolores.
Welcome to the Abstract. Our guest today on the show is Ella Parker. Hello, Ella. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing very well. Thank you. And uh, whereabouts are you, actually? I'm actually on a deck patio out um, above Dawson City in the Yukon. Oh, I thought you were in Whitehorse. Uh, no, I'm up in Dawson for my isolation period. <laughs> oh, cool. Yes, Very this is nice. an audio medium, but what you can't see is that where Ella is sitting just looks beautiful as it's like rainy and cloudy in Prince George. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. And there may be some birds chirping in the background, all thanks to Ella's uh, well-placed Zoom meeting <laughs> on her porch, so that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, uh, yeah, I guess just to start off, Ella, um, would you mind just giving us a little bit of your background, like it's the first day of class? How, uh, who are you and how have you found yourself at UNBC? Yeah, totally. So um, I grew up in Whitehorse um, in the Yukon, so not far from here in Dawson. Um, and I was really lucky as part of my sort of high school um, experience to do some really cool outdoor experiential um, learning programs. Um, as well as some uh, summer work in the sort of conservation field, working with Environment Yukon. And that really got me interested in sort of the environmental um, sort of uh, place-based kind of learning. Um, so based on that, I went to do a multidisciplinary undergraduate um, at Quest University um, in Squamish, BC. And so that's a four-year program, but you do two years of interdisciplinary studies and then two years of um, focusing on a question, not a major. So you ask a question um, and then sort of take courses to help you answer it. Um, and so that got me really um, interested in sort of inquiry-based learning and um, working across disciplines. Um, and then that led me to UNBC um, because I found that because it's sort of a small um, faculty that they seem to really work together across different um, disciplines. And so I found uh, Margot Parks um, and then sent her an email and then ended up coming to UNBC um, as a research assistant and now all the way a little farther down the line to do a master's degree. So you yeah. said at Quest, you, I, that's really interesting. I knew that their um, style of learning was a bit different. So you said that you get to ask like a, a question. What was the question that you kind of dove into in your undergrad? Yeah, so the question I chose, you have a full month to sort of put together your question. Um, and my question was, how does life work so well? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I went for the casual wording, um, but it was really trying to kind of dive into some evolutionary biology, some sort of biophysics um, stuff originally, but it ended up sort of, I followed a, you know, a journey and ended up more in environmental science and uh, social science a little bit as well. Um, to do my undergrad uh, thesis project, I guess. But yeah, it's a pretty cool learning model. I Yeah, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in a and really cool location in Squamish. Plenty yeah. of outdoor learning activities, I suppose. Uh, yeah. yeah, so so that's kind of where the real spark for experiential learning formed for you? Yeah, exactly. Um, at Quest, but also, yeah, in those high school programs. Um, and something I'm still interested in today, so. Yeah. And so when, once you finished, did you go, did you go straight into your, uh, my tax program with Mario or did you take some time? Uh, yeah, I took off a semester and a summer and did a bit of traveling. Um, but during that time I was sort of lining up the work with Margot, and I also did that, um, 
Rivershed Society. Uh, it was called the Sustainable Living Leadership Program, which is a month-long sort of river trip journey down the Fraser. And so that also tied in well to coming into working at UNBC with a focus on the Nachaco and, you know, the Fraser Basin system. Um, so, yeah. Cool. And um, I think we're going to dive a little bit into the experiences that you were having on that uh, on the Fraser River journey. But um, were you in somewhat of a leadership role on that, or were you along for the ride in that program? What what was sort of the basis of that uh, that trip? Yeah. Um, so the trip uh, sort of you, you apply for it, and it chooses ten different. Um, people to go on the journey and you are like a participant, but it is about leadership. So um, over the course of the journey, you're sort of um, building your leadership skills and putting together an idea to do a community action project when you get back. Um, and so uh, I guess, yeah, you're kind of dual participant, but also like sort of learning skills to become a leader in your community back home. So, yeah. So it seems like one of the themes, I guess, that's run through all of this is like the idea of rivers. And I know Margot like really speaks in like a very unique and eloquent way about rivers and watersheds. So I guess I'm just wondering, like, has that always kind of been one of your interests, um, even since like growing up in Yukon? Uh, I think the way I think about it has definitely changed Um like now that I'm learning from Margot, but I think um, like canoeing, paddling and using rivers as a mode of transportation for um, sort of adventure has always been a big part of my life. So growing up, you know, my dad and my mom would take us out on these sort of week long canoe river journeys. Um, and then in those experiential high school programs, we also did river trips. Um, so I knew, like, I always had rivers as a connection, um, to my, like one of my ways to connect, um, with the natural world. Um, but then I think coming to university and to UNBC has sort of reframed how I think about watersheds and, um, and rivers as also like these upstream downstream effects and, um, these ways of, um, you know, potentially governing the landscape or thinking about, um, land use planning. And, um, so yeah, I think it has been a, a evolving journey. Yeah, it's it's cool that you're doing a. I mean, I guess we haven't talked too much about your research project specifically just yet, but it's cool that you are doing a master's research project based on developing experiential learning programs while you're under the supervision of somebody that is linking um, health, community health with watershed health. So that's it's kind of cool. Uh, you're at a cool nexus there. Oh, totally. Yeah, and it's cool to think back to myself in those, um, you know, high school programs and being like, oh, wow, I was just a, an outcome of this, like connecting, <laughs> you know, learning to watersheds and to health outcomes and agency and like for your life down the line. So mm -hmm. now it's cool to come first full circle back and be like studying that. Um, yeah. So. And I guess just to reach a little farther, speaking of down the line, um, where do you kind of hope that broadly your career and life takes you after finishing this degree? Uh, I mean, I've always been the kind of person who has no idea where they're going to end up. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of go with the flow and see what happens. But I am starting to like research um, now that I'm in my master's. So I could see myself, you know, hopefully working at the Yukon University when it becomes a real thing um, up cool. here, um, doing some kind of research position or um, maybe working for an NGO. I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, the UConn College, so that's um, 
Do you, that's in, is that in Whitehorse, UConn College slash now going to be UConn University or University of? Yeah, so it's, um, it's main campus is in Whitehorse, but it does have satellite campuses um, in a couple places across um, the UConn as well in different communities. And I know this is maybe a bit of far afield, but like, it seems like um, UNBC is fairly unique and you touched on this too, because it is this university in a like quote unquote remote place, but just like far away from the other centers. Is that maybe something that would draw you to a place like, like UConn College or UConn University? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think, you know, similar to how at UNBC, there's a lot of interesting opportunities to look at, you know, like rural and remote um, problems and dynamics. I think that that would that's preparing me well to hopefully work somewhere um, like the UConn University, where I think you'd be able to sort of grapple with similar, um, you know, dynamics and contexts. So. Yeah, and more like applied research and applied knowledge. Yeah, yeah totally. Mm -hmm. And like working really closely with communities as well. Um, yeah. Seems to be something that is a benefit of being at UMBC. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if it's just sort of an impression that I'm getting at UMBC or if it actually is the case, but it does seem like universities in smaller, more rural communities, they kind of are, uh, they act a bit more as like a community institution as opposed to like, uh, you know, big research generating machine that like some of the larger institutions you hear about. Yeah, totally. Um, and I mean, I've just heard from a lot of people, I'm sure you guys heard this too, of how like UNBC's just presence in the North has just changed everything for a lot of people and like made them realize mm -hmm. they had an opportunity to go like pursue higher education when before they maybe would yeah. never have conceived it. So I yeah, I see. See what will happen in the Yukon as it shifts into a university format. Totally. Yeah. Well, I seem to remember that when the university started in Prince George, that many of the students were people in their like mid thirties into their forties that were just looking to finish up a degree that maybe they'd started in the past. So mm -hmm. it definitely creates a a more interesting cohort than just kind of churning out the most recent high school graduates into a, a bachelor's student. <laughs> Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and um, we'll definitely dive a little bit more into, um, you know, what your research project is going to be. But maybe would you mind just giving us a really quick introduction to your master's research before the first break? Uh, yeah, totally. So my like project for my uh, thesis really builds from the work I was doing um, with the Integrated Watershed Research Group and a project they have going in the Nechaka watershed, which is called Co-Learning in Our Watersheds, um, Transforming Education by Connecting Students, Communities, and Waterways. And so that's the name of the, the um, sort of school, um, school district project that is happening in partnership with UNBC. Um, and I'll be looking at a small component of that um, looking at how school-based water monitoring can inform natural resource decision-making. So that's kind of the brief <laughs> little sentence about it. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Yeah, so I yeah, think we're going to really take our first break, um, line up a track, and then we'll be back for more with Ella Parker. This is a call to arms to live.
throwback there this is the abstract on cfur 88.7 fm online at cfur.ca or on your favorite podcast app and we are back on the abstract today our guest is ella parker um, who's a master's student with under the supervision of margo parks so uh jeremy had asked and then you gave us a really nice kind of like brief overview introduction of your project but i guess we're hoping now in this little set of questions to kind of delve deeper so um, I know you said you're working with the school district. Can you maybe just detail um, like how you plan on working with the district and, and who the district is and kind of what those students uh, look like, like what, what, what that Nechaco Lakes district looks like? Yeah, totally. So um, part of my you know, original impetus to work with the school district, or I guess for the co-learning program to come together um, itself, is that School District 91, which is <clears throat> located um, to the west of Prince George. Um, the boundaries overlap almost exactly, not totally, but almost exactly with the boundaries of uh, Nechaka Watershed. And so this was, um, you know, kind of the part of the motivation for um, the school district to look at watersheds as this really great um, learning tool um, and led to the co-learning in our watersheds project. Um, and so, then for me coming in, um, I it was kind of just a no-brainer to build my research um, based on this existing co-learning in our watersheds project. So using the sort of dual context of the, the school district and the four high schools within it. So th that's in Vanderhoof, Fraser Lake, Fort St. James, and Burns Lake. Um, and then the sort of uh, more maybe more encompassing context of the Nechaco watershed and all the you know you guys know all the dynamics there's a lot going on in the Nechaco watershed um so <laughs> so yeah that's 
And so I guess the people that I'll be working with in the school district are the ones who are already involved in the co-learning um, project. So there's a couple of teacher champions um, who really um, helped move the project along. So thinking of Casey Litton um, from the Chaco Valley Secondary School, um, Barry Booth at the Integrated Watershed Research Group has also been instrumental in um, getting the project up and running. And then it started growing at each of the schools. There's more and more teachers and students who are um, sort of available and interested to work um, like with me in these kinds of projects. So, so it sounds like it started mostly focusing on the students out of Vanderhoof, but it seems like maybe it's expanded now. Yeah, totally. Um, and an interesting thing they're finding is that, yeah, it started in Vanderhoof, mainly focusing on um, using the Pacific Stream Keepers protocols um, to look at sort of, you know, stream uh, water chemistry and that kind of thing. Um, but as they expand to the other communities um, within the school district, um, in Fraser Lake, for example, they have a lake, so maybe they don't want to look at creeks as much. Um, and in um, Fort St. James, they have this really cool um, program already um, set up called with the Chunto Education Society. So they have really great connections to elders and um, different you know, educational opportunities going on there. So it's gonna look different in each of the four communities, but um, it is, uh, you know, there's room for that, for the flexibility for it to look different in different places, um, but still have this sort of same uh, theme of connecting uh, students to their watersheds and their communities. Um, yeah. Cool. So, so I guess that's the co-learning program is sort of really student focused, providing students with educational opportunities while being out in the environment and interacting with the environment. Um, but when you outlined your project earlier, you said that you were kind of looking at how these sorts of programs can inform um, resource um, and land-based management. Could you kind of talk about how the two um fields linked together through this program totally um so the rationale for my specific um study is sort of rooted in literature that um has looked into these kinds of school-based monitoring programs uh, with youth um, and it's sort of pointing towards um this fact that um students learn best um, if they're doing water monitoring activities it, they learn best when they are able to um, communicate um, you know rigorous science projects to um, authentic audiences and so it's kind of like an interesting finding that actually they learn best when they're collecting you know rigorous scientific data and able to bring that to their community and so um, if we kind of look at the uh, co-learning in our watersheds um, project and then a Chaco watershed and we say, how do we want to, like, what does this look like here? Um, we sort of really need to understand um, what it would mean to have um, youth um, in the school district be collecting data that um, can serve some purpose um, for decision makers or for community organizations in some way. Um, and so then, mm -hmm. so that's sort of my question is how can school-based monitoring in this case study be informing decision makers? making um, in some way, shape or form. Um, and just because there's already this sort of focus on streams and on like waterways with the co-learning program, I've decided or like I my um, sort of idea was to link it with natural resource decision making and sort of take that to, uh, you know, the co-learning community and the Nechaka Watershed partners and sort of see how that distills down and where, where they would want to be exploring um, 
how, you know, in what ways, what mechanisms can we use to have the data informing decision making? So that's, that's my thinking around it. That is so cool. That is so cool. <laughs> who, who would have conceived that, you know, doing arbitrary math problems isn't a great way to really digest information. <laughs> like, you know, that actually, you know, doing a little bit of basic research on a real problem with real consequences actually kind of leads to deeper learning. I think that's fantastic. And it seems really cool that, you know, as a byproduct of having this, you know, superior method of learning mm -hmm. is that you can produce potentially useful citizen science data to make decisions with. That's super cool. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think a really like a piece that's really interesting to me um, is that the, the co-learning under watersheds project also has this focus on Aboriginal education, um, which is also sort of coming through with BC's um, new curriculum. Um, and so there's also this question of how do we, um, you know, collect data that are culturally appropriate um, or that maybe could be also feeding into um, decision making um, by the like the 14 different First Nations that um, are within the watershed. Um, and there's a lot like a lot changing right now in the decision making landscape in um, BC, but also in the Nechaco. And so, you know, there's more shared decision making with First Nations, especially around natural resource management. And so there's, I guess there's a lot of like rich sort of academic stuff to d dive into um, with this topic, which is exciting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it also sounds like it's kind of a means to bridge um, a glaring divide that has become quite clear in, in academia. Um, I know in a course that we took together, Ella, we were talking about um, sustainability science and how in sustainability science, they're really trying to approach um research projects in first nation territories with two-eyed sight mm -hmm. um i guess would you mind running through that before i reveal that i didn't digest it that well in class <laughs> yeah. well i think you might be talking about that paper that we read um that was looking at um sort of sustainability science and how it can sort of have crossover or learn from indigenous science um mm -hmm. and i think one of the main messages there was that you know indigenous science was built over you know time immemorial um and sort of resulted from um trial and error and living in balance with the planet whereas sort of um you know our traditional or western science um so often seeks to sort of dominate nature or override nature um so i do think mm -hmm. that yeah there's so much that um especially if we can, uh, you know, bring it into the way we're actually teaching kids to do science, that if we have this sort of indigenous um, potential, like, or culturally appropriate lens that we're looking through, that um, it might have the power to sort of change how those um, students are going to be navigating, you know, science and research or just their work for the rest of their lives. So I don't know, it's, it's a big topic and I'm definitely not an expert, but it's definitely something I really want to try to bring in. Um, if I can into my research, so. Cool. Yeah, it seems like, um, I don't, like a lot of this uh, coming from the US, a lot of this, these ideas were like pretty new to me. And I, I went to a talk fairly recently about a woman that was doing co-production of knowledge um, down on the coast with like these huge kelp. And I just remember being like completely taken by the way that she was doing what I thought was like a really incredible job 
co-producing knowledge, not just like bringing people in at the back end. And so I guess, and that kind of seems like what you're speaking to, like, you know, engaging these students right away. So is there like, can you maybe, I don't know, even if give an example, but just kind of describe like how you actually go about doing that from like a young age and in this, this program? Yeah. Um, well, I think the, the answer there is that they actually haven't quite figured it out yet, like how they're going to make it happen. Um, but one thing that I think is really important um, in, you know, Indigenous methodologies, um, and also just in, uh, it seems in now in citizen science, they're, they're thinking that we need to move more in the direction of what they call extreme citizen science, which is, which means that um, the volunteers, or in this case, the youth or the students or the community members are involved in um, all stages of the research project from like generating questions all the way down to collecting data, analyzing data and communicating it out. Um, and so for my research project, when I want to kind of be testing different mechanisms that school-based monitoring could be informing decision-making, it's like, okay, we need to involve everybody right at the beginning to figure out what direction to go in. And so that's going to be the first um, phase of my uh, research is that I'll be hosting these um, group interviews or workshops, or I haven't quite figured out what the right terminology is for it, because it, it is a, it is research because I'll be collecting data, but it is more of like a collaborative workshop type um, session. And so during those um, meetings, we'll be sort of brainstorming um, and coming to shared understandings about, uh, you know, how they think that um, they're monitoring could be informing decision making. What what decision makers do they want to be um, bringing their data to, um, and what are the kind of issues that really matter the most um, to them or are most lo locally relevant that could be um, interesting and really um, useful to be tackling through this project. And so, based on those group interview um, workshop sessions, that will sort of uh, be. Uh, work into the design for the rest of the entire rest of my research project. Um, so I think, yeah, that sort of participatory piece is really important in, in having everybody involved in, you know, formulating and designing the monitoring or the activities that you're going to be um, doing. Wow, you just took this very wholesome idea and then made me realize how stressed out your project would make me feel that <laughs> you're designing, you're designing a research project that starts when you meet with a whole bunch of other people to design another research project. Uh -oh. Like that's, uh, that's very deep, but, uh, it sounds like a really cool process to work through with, uh, with a number of collaborators. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely kind of pretty vulnerable because if you bring this all to, you know, it's going to, for me, it's going to be a mix of students and teachers and the Chaka Watershed, um, partners from different sort of government agencies and, um, first nations, hopefully, uh, if they hate your idea at the start, then you're kind of out of luck. <laughs> well, we don't want to do this. Yeah. Then um, it's kind of back to square one. You'd be like, okay, well, what can we do that would be, you know, interesting and useful for you? And what would you want to be partnering on? So that's kind of part of the mm -hmm. game, I guess. <laughs> and, and and I guess speaking on that note too, do you feel that um, the success of the project that the students design, do you think that your research results will also depend on how clear their results come out of their project that they have like an actual deliverable from their work for you to take to the next step yeah i'm i'm really gonna try to sort of separate my master's thesis like results from what the um maybe the water monitoring program ends up delivering or 
being um, because yeah I mm-hmm. I can't really expect to within the course of these two years to go through this entire process and have them be delivering you know useful data to decision makers at the end of that um, so I think with mm-hmm. my thesis, I'm hopefully just going to be um, coming up with some recommendations for ways that the co-learning program can move forward if they want to be informing decision making. Um, so, uh, cool. yeah, <clears throat> I, it's, I'm just so you. <laughs> yeah, so you don't you don't need the uh, high school students to publish a paper in Journal of Nature or something <laughs> like that before you can publish your first articles, no. eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, uh, that that's about time for a second set there. So we've got another track coming up, and um, after that, we'll be talking about Ella about um, I guess maybe diving deeper in some of the experiences that have informed you and brought you to this place in the first place.
takes place on the Nechaco River, and she's had quite a bit of experience on the Fraser River. So that track you just heard is by the band Iron and Wine, and it was Tree by the River. You're listening to CFUR 88.7 FM and online at cfur.ca. Okay, so we're back with Ella Parker, and uh, Ella, we've just been hearing about how deeply involved you're becoming with the Nechaco watershed in terms of its the education of students in the watershed and also the potential for the research that the students are doing to inform um, natural resource decision making. And um, I guess what we're kind of curious about, seeing as you're from Whitehorse originally, um, would you mind just walking us through how you've become so familiar with um, the Fraser River system, which the Nechaco watershed is the second largest tributary feeding the Fraser, and then also the Fraser River itself um, through your paddling trips in the area. Yeah, um, totally. So I guess my first connection um, to the Fraser was um, I was lucky enough to be part of the Sustainable Living Leadership Program. And so this is a program run by the Rivershed Society of BC. Um, and it happens every year and it's sort of like a month long, uh, river journey where it's partially canoeing, partially rafting, um, down the entire length of the Fraser river from headwaters to ocean. Um, and the program is, it's kind of a cool backstory, um, for river folks like you guys. So, um, it was started by Finn Donnelly and, um, he sort of just had this, huge passion for the Fraser River and protecting um, salmon, um, but also the entire sort of watershed. Um, <clears throat> and so he swam the length of the Fraser twice um, in two different years. It was like a funny... <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. For like, like how long? The Fraser's, I don't know, can we maybe give our audience an idea of how long? I, it's definitely <laughs> over a hundred kilometers long. Um, oh my God. Yeah. And, oh no, a thousand. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Over I think it's like the thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zero there. Um, but yeah, he swam it twice. I can't remember how long it took him. Um, but <clears throat> going along as he would swim, he would sort of stop and sleep in different communities and sort of build some, you know, relationships with people all along the way. Um, and especially with different conservation groups. Um, and one day was like, okay, I, I want more people to experience this. And so then came up with the idea to do the sustainable living leadership program. So to bring, you know, different people from around the province to experience the Fraser and then bring that sort of experience back to, you know, different kinds of water uh, protection and conservation projects back in their home communities. So yeah, cool. pretty cool, like sort of, um, project to stumble into um and i had this like was so lucky to go and do this whole river trip and meet people along the way and um see really amazing parts of the fraser like we rafted through hell's gate um these like major rapids um and uh you know just to see all the different sort of um 
bio uh, geochromatic zones in BC that you travel through. Um, yeah, no it, it was amazing. And so, um, but then we, we obviously didn't go on the Nechaco. Um, so when I, I was, it was sort of lined up with this time when I was looking for something to do for after um, finishing my undergrad. And then I um, came across Dr. Margot Parks and her um, research in with the Integrated Watershed Research Group in the Nechaco. And so that sort of became my second link to the Fraser was um, looking at the Nechaco. Um, and it all sort of just followed nicely from there. And so um, I focused my community action project, which um, we had to do as part of the Sustainable Living Leadership Program. I focused that in the Nechaco um, and was uh, able to work with some students um, from School District 91 um, to develop a film project about um, the stream monitoring they were doing um, in the co-learning project. And so, yeah, it all sort of fed in nicely that I was able to do this project after the river trip um, in the Nishtaco through my internship, and then that evolved into where I am now. So, yeah. Cool. And did you do a paddling? Was the film part of a paddling trip on the Nechaco area as well? Um, it wasn't actually. The film was just um, documenting what was going on with the stream monitoring program. It's on YouTube. It's called Stream Monitoring for Change in School District 91. Um, but then okay. we can fire a link in the yeah. show notes. It's a pretty sweet little documentary yeah. too. Yeah, and it, it cool. was like I was just sort of supporting the high school students. They really led and directed it um, and, you know, came up with the script and everything. So um it's really their project but i just sort of helped fuel it um and uh and then after that on top of that i was um we myself and riley brennan who was also on the um the river trip that year um we worked with some uh people who were on the trip the year before us to put together the it's called the river clinic for empowered youth um and it was a, a five-day river trip on the nechaco um, and that was last summer. And so we worked to sort of plan that and organize it and make it like a mini version um, of the SLLP, the Sustainable Living Leadership Program, a mini version just for um, younger um, youth to experience something with a little bit, you know, less barriers because it's only five days um, in the Nechaco watershed. Mm -hmm. And to hopefully build up a bit of a network in the Nechaco of, um, you know, youth who are really interested in their watersheds and, um, you know, advocating for them and coming together. So, yeah, that's cool. The River Clinics. Mm -hmm. So, were you were you on a boat with the kids for the five day clinic? Is that kind of in, in camping along the way or something like that? How did that look yeah, um, on the water? Exactly. So, um, the first day was actually on a lake because um, we needed to train them to you know have the skills in the Voyager canoes. I'm um, just for safety reasons. Um, and so that was on a little lake, um, Hogsback Lake near Vanderhoof. And then, um, and then we started after that. We we drove out to um, Kenny Dam, and there was a session with a representative from Rio Tinto um, to sort of just talk about the, you know, the um, empowerment of the Nechaco and the sort of in industry side. Um, so there was that perspective. Um, and then we sort of walked down to the bottom of Cheslada Falls, and we met up with Mike Robertson from Cheslada First Nation, and then sort of heard mm. the other side of that story um, and sort of just how about the displacement of the Chesada people as a result of the dam. Um, and so that was really interesting to sort of have, you know, multiple perspectives presented to the youth on the trip. Um, and then hopped in the Voyager canoes there, had a bit of a portage, which was <laughs> kind of 
Um, we got a lot of um, feedback. That was the hardest part of the trip. Um, <laughs> and yeah. then, um, yeah, that upper section of the Nechaco um, was just amazing. So, you know, go through some little canyons and it's really fun little piece of river there. Um, and we had high um, water levels, which was nice. So it was like bumping along. Um, and, uh, and then as we went along, we also stopped at, um, June Woods property. So she's, um, an, a local author and she's written a lot about the Nechaco. And so, um, the youth had a chance to, you know, hear from her and her experience of like being a settler, um, living on the river for like multiple decades. I'm not sure exactly when she moved there, but so that was a really cool piece as well. Um, and cool. yeah, so, and then finished off, um, I think we, pulled out at uh, Greer Creek, I'm pretty sure. Um, so it was actually not that many kilometers of paddling, but there was sort of a lot of activities packed in there and um, visits and experiences, so. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds and like it... quite the learning experience. Like, it, I, I mean, Jeremy and I both work on the Nechaco and like, I, I feel like that would have been useful for me when I started my project. Oh there. yeah. Like, there's yeah. so much history. Oh. That people like Mike and June just like are these fountains of knowledge. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. And that was something that we found when we were organizing the trip was that we had this like overwhelming interest from adults who were like, oh, can I come? And like, I, if, <laughs> if I come, like, then I'll try to like, you know, build my partner organization into it and make it more sustainable down the line. But then we had like more adults than youth and we're like, oh, no. <laughs> So <laughs> it's like backtrack on that. But I think, yeah, there's so many groups that are interested, like, um, to just do that, you know, as adults, because there's so much to learn. Um, and like, yeah. so rich, yeah. like what's going on there. So, yeah. So, so are any of the students from that project in your, going to be involved in your project, um, in the fall um, then? They could, definitely could be because we had ended up having four from Vanderhoof and four from uh, Fort St. James. Um, and they're in this sort of grade 10, 11 range. Um, so they'll definitely be still around and hopefully will be, um, you know, part of my participant slash co-researchers because they'll be collecting data. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. And is there is there a reason that you... Um, this is like kind of an aside, but why you choose that age group? Is it just because they are advanced to a point where they can take solid data or do you, is that like a, an age that you just really enjoy? Um, yeah. So for the river trip, it ended up just working out for that age because um, often the older, like grade 12 students had summer jobs and couldn't really make it work. Um, so that age group just worked out. <clears throat> but um, yeah, with, with my research project, I think we'll be focusing on grade 11s, um, probably because they'll still be around um, for one more year and might be able to sort of carry that like, institutional knowledge um, forward. Um, but yeah, I think they're just probably the easiest to work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, cool. This is really cool. It sounds like you're um, cultivating a good set of uh, future leaders within the Chaco Basin, which is, uh, that'll be a really cool legacy to carry on once you've uh, moved on from UNBC. Oh, totally. Yeah. Really cool to see what everyone does. <laughs> Going forward. It's even fun to see. I know there's one student that I think was in your documentary and she now goes to UNBC and I see her on campus all the time and it's like, oh, this is really cool. Like, yeah. 
see that 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 likely had an influence on her yeah and that so that's jordan cranmer you're talking about and she's actually yeah. going to be starting up a research assistant position um working with the nachaka watershed roundtable as sort of like helping to fuel some like youth engagement stuff um so it is cool to see how it like sort of you know you get them that's hooked awesome. and they like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well and i feel like this also serves an example as you know, the influence that having a university in the community can have, hey, because I guess, you know, if it wasn't for UNBC's presence in, in the northern or the central interior, then maybe these kinds of opportunities wouldn't be there for high school students. Oh, totally. Even. Yeah. And I think something I'm thinking a lot about, too, is like, what is a university's role in their watershed? Um, I'm taking a course right now with Margot, where that's sort of the theme of the course. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we have this, um, you know, all this interesting knowledge being generated and thoughts and ideas being um mixed around but like yeah is it kind of part of our responsibility to serve the communities in some way and how like how do you do that and i don't know so yeah 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 well all right <laughs> <laughs> i think that brings us to the end of the show but um I, like, Ella, that was just fantastic. I think Jeremy and I, especially because we both have a connection to the Nachaco, are just really excited to have you on. And it was a really great interview. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Really appreciate uh, hearing about your work and also looking forward to hopefully seeing you out in the Nachaco Basin. Yeah. I know um, we've got a, <laughs> a, a stream temperature logger with uh, probably SD91 to be written uh, on it. So uh, <laughs> we'll have to be uh, speaking about that in the oh, future, totally. too. Oh, totally, yeah. Well, I think I'll be back in June, like just to be working on my own stuff. Um, so it'd be cool to touch base with you guys and see if there's any ways to work together on stuff. So totally. And I'm out in your Murray Creek area all the time. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Ella. It's uh, it's been a huge oh. pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Ella. Yeah. Like water, like water. Falling down from the sky like water, like water. Those rivers don't ever run dry. Like water, like water. Falling down from the sky like water, like water. Those rivers don't ever run dry. Yes, and I've always known we'll come from yesterday. Cutting all paths through the rocks and the clay. Though our travels both crooked and straight We'll make it round the bend No, there ain't no other way Black
up in the skies just making up names For all of her children come back from where they came And the ocean's inviting us to come to him again track like water again on our water theme and it was by a hometown favorite band called the spike drivers bluegrassy country stuff for you so uh jeremy i found that interview quite interesting since we we both work in the nachaco we're part of the same you know overarching watershed research group as ella but i really didn't feel like i knew a lot of the details of her project yeah, I actually really enjoyed it, especially it's it's made me think a lot about our interview with Dr. Christine Ho, young husband. Um, I feels like ages ago now. And uh, I mean, I never really thought of the potential results that could come from experiential learning programs and the fact that, you know, maybe you could use them as a means to collect usable data for decision making. Yeah, I was thinking like the whole time during the interview, that's like the one thing that was on my mind was how how many parallels there were uh, with Christine's work and then what Ella's trying to do. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to put them in touch with each other. <laughs> huh. Actually, I was at an event and they were both there and they didn't know they were both there. <laughs> ah, there we go. Well, it's already in the making. Then. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for us today. Uh, we haven't 100% confirmed our guest for next week, but it's what I think it is. It is a beloved UNDC prof, maybe on his, his way out the door in the best way possible to